Hey, Sarah here. Summer is fast approaching, and here's what I propose. A relaxed and simple summer that offers just enough structure to keep those long, sticky days from melting into chaos, and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. Also, fairy tales. Lots of fairy tales. (laughs) I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, and I would love for you to join me. Save your free seat at the workshop by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. See you there. This episode is sponsored by Audible. Find books recommended in this episode like Watership Down, The Thirteen Clocks, and The Wonderful O. Listen with your kids in the car or use these high-quality audiobooks to do the reading for you when you need a break. Get a free audiobook at audibletrial.com slash read aloud. You're listening to the Read Aloud Revival Podcast. This is the podcast that inspires you to build your family culture around books. You've got episode 10 of the podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start in with today's episode, I want to give you a heads up that I am currently running a survey about the podcast. I want to know what you've enjoyed so far, what's been the most helpful, and the kinds of podcasts you like best that inspire you to read aloud more to your kids. The survey can be found at readaloudrevival.com, and if you head there and take it before September 15th, 2014, you can enter to win a $50 Amazon gift card. I really appreciate you taking five or 10 minutes to let me know what you think, so that's my way of saying thank you. Again, that survey is at readaloudrevival.com. Today I'm talking with Heidi Scovel, mother of four and blogger at Mount Hope Academy. On episode three of the Read Aloud Revival podcast, Tish Oxenreiter told us that one of her favorite places to go for great book recommendations is Heidi's blog, which can be found at mounthopeacademy.blogspot.com. I'll link it up in the show notes, of course. I've been a longtime reader of Heidi's blog as well and can attest to her excellent taste in books. I thought it would be fun to chat with Heidi about how she chooses books and how she encourages the reading culture in her home. Hey, Heidi. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for taking my call. It's really fun to talk to you in person. I've read you for so long. Oh, well, I'm so excited to get to chat today. And books, my favorite subject. Awesome. <laughs> well, can we start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and your family? Absolutely. Uh, my husband, Russ, and I have been married for 18 years. And we have three boys. They're 12, 10, and almost 8. And then we have a daughter also. She's three and a half. And we've been homeschooling from the very beginning. That's something that we talked about when we were dating. So that was something that we were really excited to do with our kids. Wow, really? You talked about it when you were dating? That's so impressive. Actually, (laughs) I think it was on our third date because he was a public school teacher at the time. And I thought maybe I should let him know that I was planning on homeschooling my kids. (laughs) (laughs) And so that he wasn't going to waste his time. And I said, I let him know that I was planning on homeschooling my kids. And he said, I think that is a fantastic idea. Wow, and that's awesome. he's, he's been on board ever since, so I really appreciated that. Were you homeschooled or no? 
I did a little bit of everything. I did okay. public school, I did private school, and I homeschooled for one year during high school. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. So you had like and the gamut to of, choose from. You had a whole like, you know, treasure box of experiences to pick from ex- before you took <laughs> Exactly. I felt like I really could um, make that decision knowing what each one looked like. Cool. Um, yeah. And of course, we still leave it open depending on the personalities and the needs of our own kids. But so far, it's been great for us. Awesome. So, and I've been blogging for seven and a half years. I can't believe it's been that long. But, <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. And and that's our exciting life. We read, the boys swim, and I blog. Awesome. And take pictures. And take beautiful <laughs> pictures. Your photography is always gorgeous. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, you are often sharing fantastic books in your blog. Uh, a lot of people say your blog is their favorite place for book recommendations. Tish, of course, did on um, our podcast on the third episode. I, a lot of times, if I'm struggling to come up with a book about a certain topic or just need some good um, recommendations, I'll head over to your blog to mine your archives for some good ideas. So have you always been good at choosing books or is that something you've kind of grown into? Well, I think I got the bug from my mom back when I was in second grade. My school teacher actually recommended Honey for a Child's Heart to my mom. And so she purchased the book and she started scouring the used bookstores in search of books on the list. I love that book. I know. It's so wonderful. Um, And so we started our home library that way. And um, I started my own personal book collection soon after that. And I remember, it must have been middle school or maybe early high school, and my dad built each of us, my two sisters and me, he built large custom wooden bookcases for each of our rooms. And I still have the bookcase that he made me. It's in my boys' room. But I started collecting books and adding to my shelves. And when I got married, I, I started collecting kids' little kids' books and, and picture books. And um, before I was even pregnant with my oldest son, I read The Well-Trained Mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that seriously enabled my book-buying habit. <laughs> and it, it was bad. Like it needed and, enabling, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so that bookcase started overflowing, and then I had to purchase several more and several more, and now those are overflowing. And um, so I just... I've always loved book lists. That's I mean, so that's just- great. When I was first um, first a mother, I remember taking my toddler to the library, and I didn't even know where to start. I felt like I'm sure there are some books in here that are better than others, but I don't know how to pick. So I feel like it's something I've had to learn along the way. I'm much, much better at it now than I was at the beginning. But really seriously, what a gift your mom gave you, <laughs> gave you by giving yes. you that skill early on. Well, the interesting thing is that I didn't like going to the library when my – oldest was little. Oh, really? Because it was the same thing. It was just shelves and shelves of books, and they were kind of hard to look at because they were stacked close to each other. And um, I much preferred having a list and searching on Amazon and researching things ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I didn't enjoy the library when my kids were really little. Well, it puts all the books on an equal plane. And, you know, we know that not all books are equal to each other. So it feels... Right. Yeah. It felt more like I was wading through so much to get to the few books that I enjoyed, where if I started with a list, I felt like everything on the list was wonderful, Mm -hmm. and I could go from there. But even now, I tend to put books on hold at the library online. Okay, yep. So I'll do my searching at home and on lists 
and on Amazon and I'll go and online to the library and put books on hold and then I just go in, grab all of the hold books off the shelf and we're good to go. Yeah, that's good. My um my kids tend to pull the twaddle off the shelves. Well actually I think on our library shelves probably eighty percent of everything in the kids department is pretty <laughs> Uh, twaddly so yes. it's almost hard for, you know I don't really blame them because it's like how do you find the really good stuff when so much of it is garbage but um, Jamie Martin from Simple Homeschool I'll have to find the post but she wrote a post a couple years ago on why she doesn't take her kids to the library and it was basically that same principle that she does much better if she re- puts books on hold um, online and then goes in and picks them up and that way you can borrow all the best stuff without being distracted or having your little kids have to wade through <laughs> you know all the fluff to get to good stuff right I specifically remember that post of hers too and I thought oh I can so relate to that because I didn't want to be constantly telling my kids no yeah. not that one no not that one no I don't like that and especially since I have my older son in particular gravitates towards fantasy okay mm-hmm uh, which is, to me, even more difficult to wade through right? Um, that genre. And so I, I didn't want to be constantly telling him no, where if I bring home a huge stack of books or we have books overflowing off our shelves, I feel like it's a constant yes. Yeah, right, right. Take your pick. Here's a huge feast spread in front of you, and and you can pick what looks good to you. Well, that's interesting. It also reminds me of something Andrew Putua said on the very first episode of our podcast. And I'm going to forget the analogy now. Um, But basically, the idea was if you give your children good stuff constantly, good stories, good books, constantly, they, their ability to recognize good books is so much stronger. It's like a, it's like a muscle memory kind of thing. And so they don't really need to wade through the junk. You can do that for them. And then that kind of helps train their affection so that they are able to pull the good stuff for themselves as they get older. So I think that's true. And, um, I'm not saying that my kids don't sometimes pick out the very twaddly oh, yes. sort of books, and <laughs> um, but I hope that in general the the majority of what they're reading is is compelling, good stories that have quirky characters and great themes that are well written, and that they do get used to that and find that the twaddle books aren't quite as satisfying. Yes. Yeah. Even though they're okay once in a while, because I'm guilty of that, too. You know, exactly. sometimes I just want a really entertaining, easy book to get through, but I don't want a steady diet of that. And I yeah. hope that they grow up feeling the same way. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so what criteria do you use when you're selecting books for your kids? Do you have, um, do you have certain things you're looking for in a good book? Um, I... I like books that are well-written, and I like books that have interesting characters. I really like deep, um, unique characters for the books, and adventurous. I have three boys, and so I'm constantly trying to find books that I think will appeal to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think. There, there aren't really specific qualities that I look for. And I do, there's a difference between read-aloud books and books read independently. There's a few books that are really great for independent reading that don't flow as well for read-aloud. Yes, definitely. And so that that changes a little bit. Um, I remember reading aloud Swallows and Amazons. 
I don't know if you've read that before, but it's a fantastic series. And my son has gone on to reread it several times. Uh But there was so much technical sailing because they were kids going off on a sailing adventure. But there were so many sailing terms and technical explanations for what they were doing that it was difficult to read that out loud. That's actually really helpful to hear you say that. I tried reading aloud Swallows and Amazons must have been two years ago and was so I really struggled through the whole first chapter and it was the technical terms that was really tripping me up. So we just sort of put them aside but at the time I didn't realize it you know, I had heard so many places on, on so many blogs and so many people that I looked up to said, this is fantastic, you know, this is a fantastic series, life-changing, sort of childhood-forming fiction. Right. And I thought, what is wrong with us? But really, the the thing, it wasn't anything wrong with us. It was just not a good selection for Read Aloud, but excellent for Read Alone. So, And I, and I think that's really true, because my oldest son has enjoyed the um, adventures that they went on and, and that the ideas that the childhood that that captures in the books, but it just, it was difficult to read aloud. But I feel that way about the Phantom Tollbooth, because a lot of people say that's one of their favorite read-alouds, and I think the book is full of homophones. If you can't see how it's written, it's not funny. Right. Because they're using (laughs) words in different ways, but you can't tell when you're reading it aloud how things are spelled, and you lose a lot of the humor there. Yeah, right, right. So how... What does read aloud look like in your house? And um, I know your kids read just voraciously independently. So can you give us a little picture of um, like how often you read aloud or what the ratio might look like for, you know, reading alone versus reading aloud in your home? Right. And this is where I hope that I can express some reality for the parents who are struggling with read aloud time. Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Because we have struggled with that, even though I am completely on board with the idea of reading aloud and reading aloud to other to older kids, even once they can read independently, sometimes the reality of that, depending on your kids, is really difficult. And I, my, my oldest son has an attention span that could just go on for hours. I mean, I could never stop reading, and he could listen. My <laughs> second son is extremely visual. Okay. And so he could not, and I can relate to this because I remember struggling when my mom would read aloud to us as kids, but if, if he can't see the words, he can't focus on them. Interesting. Okay. And so he did not enjoy read alouds until he was old enough to read for himself and he could sit next to me huh. and he would constantly say, where are you? Where are you? And he would want me to run my finger along the page where ah. I was reading aloud. Okay, interesting. Yeah. And so he enjoyed picture books, you know, when he was younger, but as far as the longer chapter books, mm-hmm. he needed to be able to read aloud or read along with me. And then my younger son has very little attention span and his mouth never stops moving. <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> so, sounds like me. <laughs> so it was this, this constant interruption. You know, and he'd be, he'd just want to talk, or he would just slip away and yeah. go do his own thing. Yeah. And then yeah. the, to- the baby came along, the toddler. <laughs> and she's a little spitfire, to- right? <laughs> oh, my goodness. She's a spitfire, and she wants to be included, but she is not a sit-still-be-quiet <laughs> little person. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, it's all like read aloud was this big battle yes. time mm-hmm. between either being interrupted constantly or feel like I was disciplining constantly. Yeah. You know, you can't 
jump on me. You can't interrupt. You have to sit here. You have to be quiet. So I can, I can relate to parents who struggle with read aloud time. Plus, um, I had kids who read early and inhale books. Okay. And so they'd also lose patience with, hi, I just want to read that and the whole stretching books out for a longer period of time, which is actually quite beneficial is still difficult on the patients. Oh, yeah, because reading aloud a book takes so much longer than than reading a book to yourself. Hours and hours and hours longer to read something aloud. Yeah. My- right. And then plus you don't do it. I mean, you can only read aloud for so long exactly. in one stretch. Yes. Yes. Yeah. My my oldest three, I used to be able to read aloud to them. We would really read aloud for maybe three hours a day, two, three hours. It was insane. <laughs> We'd read everything. And then, right. now I've got three more babies. Um, one's a two-year-old and she's actually fairly cooperative now, but we our one-year-old twins are mobile and you know. <laughs> yes, I do. So I, our- I didn't have twins, so I can't even imagine. I love the picture on your blog of the twins pulling the books off the shelves oh, because right. I could relate to that. That's what my whole house looks like is everything pulled off shelves and dumped <laughs> out of drawers. And, and since books are, you know, I want books accessible to my kids at all times. That's usually what's all over every surface. Yeah. Right. It's like a it's not just like home decor like, you know, nice to look at, but it's all actually a part of your culture. So you really want it to just be everywhere. I know I have a friend who told me I should put all the books in our house in one room and I thought, "Well, no, I want books in every room." But books in every room means that what the toddlers were doing in that picture happens all over my house every day. <laughs> yes, yes. And I, I decided early on, um, because I, I was the kid, you know, I was talking about what I was like in second grade, but even, you know, right after that, I was the one who had this special library closet, and I, I wanted a, a Dewey Decimal system. You know, I made up my own organizational system and logged in all the books and had them in specific categories <laughs> and order. I mean, that's the kind of person I was, but my children are nothing like that. And I mean, (laughs) nothing like that. But I made the decision early on that I want these books to be loved. Mm. And perfect on a shelf does nothing. That's right. That's right. And so our all of our books look extraordinarily well loved. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Which is what they're for, right? Exactly. Exactly. On Episode 8, Lawrence Goldstone came onto the podcast to talk about his book, Deconstructing Penguins, and to share about how to start a parent-child book group, which was a really great podcast. I loved that book. And you've actually done that in your community. So I want to hear all about your book detectives group. Can you tell us about that? I would love to tell you about it because it's been such a fun experience Um, Several years ago, I read Deconstructing Penguins, and I was completely inspired. And my sister read it um, right after I did. And she said, oh, I want to do that. I want to do that with our kids. But I felt really inadequate to that task. I loved reading the discussions in the books that he had with the students. But half the time, I was thinking, I would have never thought of that question. I would have never thought of bringing that up or I, I didn't, I never saw that Mm -hmm. in the book and Mm -hmm. my education, I had no literary analysis growing up during my school years. And I don't understand how that happened, but um, so I felt inadequate. I didn't know how to go about discussing any book that wasn't specifically listed in deconstructing penguins. Um, So about three years ago, 
I was introduced to Teaching the Classics by Adam Andrews, and I loved listening to that podcast that you did with him. Oh, yes. For our listeners, that is episode two, if you're looking for that one. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I watched the videos and had discussion, and there were I had a couple experiences with teaching the classics right in a row one summer. And finally, I was so excited that I had found a tool that could be applied to any piece of literature from picture books to Tolstoy or Dickens. Yeah. And I, I needed that, that tool. And if, if you haven't looked at the teaching the classics syllabus, the Socratic list of questions that apply to any piece of literature in the back of the book is worth the price alone. There's 10 pages of of Mm open-ended questions that can be applied to any piece of literature. And so once I had that tool, I thought I, I can now, I have something to use to lead a book club. So we, I invited, there were probably about 10 parents and 12 kids in the beginning. And when I invited them, I said, we're going to be detectives because we talked about the idea that books were mystery, that stories were mysteries, and that we were trying to look at the clues of the surface mystery of the plot and the things going on in the book to discover the deeper mystery, which is what the author was telling us about. Okay. Or wanting to, want the, the theme, the idea that the author wanted to get across. I bet the kids loved that. I mean, what kid doesn't want to be a detective, right? So. <laughs> well, it was, it was really fun because we really talked up the, det- the ideas of being a detective. And in fact, I got little magnifying glasses at the dollar store and passed out magnifying glasses to each of the kids. And we had a couple older siblings dressed up as detectives. Oh, how fun. With hats <laughs> and trench coats. And so we really played that up. And the kids were probably at that point um, between ages five and 10. So we had a fairly large, you know, wide mix. We were trying to do mostly grade school, though. Okay. And uh, we started out reading picture books at the meeting. And then we'd, we'd talk about them. And we'd use the story chart from teaching the classics. Okay. And we went through the, we talked about the setting being the crime scene and the questions are where and when. Okay. And then we talked about the characters being the suspects. So we talked about who was in the story. And then I, the, the kids love the story chart with the, the bubbles in the kind of triangle shape. Yes. And if our, if our listeners want to see something like this, if, I will be linking in the show notes to Heidi's book detectives group blog posts and she has a lot of great pictures that show actually I think after every one of your posts that you talk about your meetings you've um, posted a picture of what the whiteboard looks like when you guys are done with that triangular shaped bubble right yes and the only thing I'll say is that usually I rewrote the notes because I will not pretend that the notes looked that neat <laughs> in the middle because we were kind of writing down just as we were going and talking about it. So usually pretty messy, but that gives a really good, the pictures give a really good idea of what the board, um, the things that we wrote down yep. on the board as notes. Yeah. And, and it helps for elementary students, again, the, the visual representation of that because they could see, as we were discussing, they could see how that looked. Um, on the story chart. Yeah, and I like how you ha- you started with picture books, even though your kids were, you know, listening to or reading on their own uh, longer chapter books. It's just like Adam Andrew says, that this is the way that you um, analyze any piece of literature, whether it's a picture book or, you know, 
War and Peace. And so it's so helpful to do it with a picture book um, to simplify it and get that kind of very simplified version, get the, get into the habit, I guess, right? Right. And the, the interesting things that came up is that all of the kids loved hearing the picture book read aloud at the meeting. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we, we started with picture books, and then in the middle we did some chapter books mm-hmm. and had the kids read them and come. But it turned out that everybody enjoyed the picture books so much, even mm-hmm. the older kids, that we went back to the picture books for the last few um, book club meetings oh, wow. that we've okay. had. But the other interesting thing is that I chose picture books that I had read, a lot of them I had read, over and over again, but I cannot, I I can't even express to you how much more I learned and noticed in these simple picture books when we discussed it as a group with the kids, with the moms that were there. Okay. uh, I learned, I, I learned so much about the, the flow of the story. And I also learned how intentional authors are, even in simple chapter books, everything, the illustrations and um, the way the author weaves the story, I didn't realize, I, I mean, I just enjoyed them before, but I didn't realize how intentional and how deep even those simple stories could be. Interesting. Yeah, Lawrence did say that on the podcast, on, on episode eight, he said every single part of a story is there for a reason. And I thought, I bet that that will uncover a whole new dimension that I've never noticed before, just knowing that. Well, I read, we did Miss Rumpius. I don't have it in the notes on our on my blog, but we did Miss Rumpius. And it's one that I've read over and over again. But I had 20 aha moments when we were discussing that. And, and I couldn't even believe the things that we could discuss wow. from that simple picture book. So really? that's, okay. And I think all of, the, all of the parents have felt that way. In The moms tend to let the kids answer questions as often as possible because they want them, you know, they don't want to take over the book club, but the moms still chime in, especially when the kids are having difficulty and, um, or if the moms see something. Uh, and so it's been really fun to do that as a group and not just with kids, but with the parents also. We'll get back to the show in just a minute. At the beginning of today's episode, I mentioned that what I propose for this summer is a relaxed and simple plan that offers just enough structure to keep your days from melting into chaos and just enough fun to keep your kids asking for more. And what summer wouldn't be much, much better with a whole bunch of fairy tales? Well, I'm teaching a free workshop called Three Simple Steps to a Fairy Tale Summer, And here's what we're going to talk about. First, how reading fairy tales can make your summer easier. Yes, easier. We want to take things off your plate this summer, not put more on, right? (laughs) Fairy tales can make your summer easier and more fun. I'm also going to share the fairy tales I recommend for every age and the tippy top thing you can do to make sure your kids make delightful memories this summer. It is way less work and way less pressure than you think. The free workshop is happening live online on May 7th, 2024, and you can save your free seat by texting the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. And yes, 
there's a replay. So make sure you register even if you can't join us live on May 7th. Again, text the word fairy tale, all one word, to the number 33777. So how many kids are in your group? Um, It's changed a little bit. And now that we're doing individual picture books, because it's hard for everybody's schedules to mesh up perfectly. Mm -hmm. And so it really varies depending on the month. Okay. Um, But I'd say we probably have usually at least six moms and 10 kids. Okay. Of what ages? We're now probably between six and twelve. Okay, so if I'd you were giving ages. a mom, if a mom was going, I want to do this. Um, what ages do you think are the youngest you could start? Or yeah, what would your be advice to her as far as the number um, of kids? It kind ages? of depends. It kind of depends on the the kid, of course, because some could do it earlier. But I really, I felt like around age six is when they could start participating okay. and and really understanding what we were going for. And also it takes some level of being able to, not that, and my kids are certainly the least perfect among the the sitting still and being quiet sort of mm-hmm. atmosphere, but they have to be able to pay attention long enough yeah. and, and participate. So I think age six is a good place to start if you're doing picture books. Okay, and you haven't ha- you have all different ages in there. So how does how does that dynamic work with your older son is 12, is that right? My older son is 12, but he's very imaginative. Okay. And he enjoys the the enjoys picture books and he enjoys any kind of story. And so he personality-wise, he's a good fit for that. Um, group, but I know in other groups you might have kids that are ready to to do something a little bit more grown up by age ten or eleven. Although um, I think so, you know your comment about how much you've learned, it it probably just feeds the experience to have all these different ages and their different perspectives, and they probably add something diff- new and better, you know, different, right? Right, because a 12-year-old might see something different in a picture book than a 6-year-old would, but they get to share their ideas and hear the perspective from different ages. Okay, very cool. And I was going to mention also, we, we did the picture books, we did the story chart using the ideas from Deconstructing Penguins about the, the mystery of a story. But then we decided to pull in a little bit, something a little bit different a few months ago. And we actually did some of the questions from The Lost Tools of Writing by Circe. Oh, excellent. Yes. And they have an invention process, which essentially you're learning to think through a book and think through the ideas of a book and ask questions to essentially make a big inventory of things that you could write about. Okay. And so we we started learning, and I, I do have one of those on my blog, at least one, to give you an idea of the questions that we asked. But we started out just asking the kids, say, what, what questions can you ask about the story? Hmm. And then we said, could we change any of these questions into should questions? And Andrew Kern has talked a lot about that. Should uh, a certain character have done a certain action? Yes is a great way to open up ideas inside of a story. Actually, I think there's a, um, an audio 
um, a talk he gave on killing the or teaching the literature without killing the book or the student or something like that. <laughs> I'm, right, I'm getting the title mixed right. up now, but I'll find out. I'll link it in the show notes because it's, I mean, I'm a huge Andrew Kern junkie myself, but that's just such a great um, talk and he has so much wisdom in there. So on the should question is something that he really addresses in that particular talk. Right. And that was a really fun thing because the kids came up with interesting should questions. Hmm. Um, you know, they'd, they'd pick, you pick a character and an action and say, should they have done that? And so we changed the questions that we had asked, and we decided which ones could be changed into should questions. And then we voted on which should question we wanted to really talk about. And you can hand kids a should question. You can come up with that on your own. You could say, okay, we're going to talk about should this character have done this action. But it was kind of fun for them to come up with questions on their own and then feel like they got a say in voting for which, which should question we were going to discuss. So we set up our Annie chart, and that the Lost Tools of Writing goes into that at the beginning of the program. But you make a chart, and you have three columns. And in the first column, you have an A, which stands for affirmative. And all the reasons in, for why the character should have done an action would go in that column. And then the middle column has an N at the top for negative, And all the reasons why a character should not have done the action would go in that column. And then the third column has an I at the top for interesting. And anything that comes up that is not specifically affirmative or negative goes in the I for interesting column. And as you can imagine, when you have a bunch of elementary students (laughs) talking, there were a lot of things to put in the interesting category, (laughs) but it was a way to validate that they were participating and what they had to say was important. Right. And And there's not a right or wrong where they're intimidated to say anything because they're not sure what the right answer is or what exactly you're looking for. Exactly. And that's another thing that we found in this, um, in the book club setting was that kids were just encouraged to share what they knew, what they thought. And there were no, there are no wrong answers. Right. And so they're getting in this culture of participating and sharing and not scared that they're going to have the wrong answer or say the wrong thing. Right. So okay. um, we did. So the Annie chart, we filled it up and came up with lots of, of reasons for both the affirmative and negative. And that's pretty much as far as we took it, because um, you can go further, but it's really better for upper middle school or high school. But it was just a way to get kids learning how to ask questions and coming up with ideas from a story. Uh, I went to the two Andrews talk where Andrew Kern and Andrew Putua were speaking and Andrew Kern walked us through that Annie system with the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Actually, I think I may have gone to one, the same tour that you went to one in Oregon. Ours was in Washington. You went to the two Andrews talk, right? Yes, I did. Yeah. When they were in Oregon and it was fantastic. It was yes. so much fun. Yes, I was really blown away by that simple should question that Andrew Kern walked us through. Should... Edmund have followed the White Witch in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And it, it really just blew me away. He, you know, how he didn't know where the conversation was really going to go. I mean, he didn't really know the journey it was going to take, but he was talking about how it always ends in truth, no matter what. If you ask a shit question and you follow this sort of Annie framework, um, the right. affirmative, the negative, the interesting, and kind of walk through those steps, it always leads you to the truth. So it's just, I was blown away by that and thought, okay, I need to have more of this. So I love how you've woven the lost tools of writing in with teaching the classics and 
um, this book detective or um, deconstructing penguins methods to create your own book detective group that really meets your kids where they're at. That's so awesome. Yes, and it's it's been a great combination because they each have something a little bit different that went together really well. And I like what you said about um, Andrew Kerr not knowing where the conversation was going to go because I learned um, a few meetings in that it was almost more fun if I just picked a book and I didn't go through it ahead of time and analyze it in my own head. Okay. That I just took a book that I had enjoyed previously, but then I read it and we discussed it together because then I didn't have a specific direction I wanted to force the conversation to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in the audio, Teaching Literature Without Killing the Book or the Student, that I'll link in the show notes, Andrew Kern does that as well. He gives you, he gives an example of what it looks like to talk about a book where the teacher knows exactly the path that she wants the kids to go on versus talking about a book where you don't really know where it's going to go, but you ask a few key questions, the should question being central to that. And it was astounding how much deeper and more meaningful the conversation that he really didn't prepare a whole lot for. And he was talking about how the second way, though, when without having the clear path, but just having a few key questions, that one takes so much less time to prepare for in advance, but offers a much more meaningful outcome. So that was really interesting to me. That's true. And that's really helpful when, you know, we as moms are trying to juggle 50 different things that we don't have to have this perfect plan with these little blanks and worksheets and, you know, these specific answers, but it's more of a conversation and a relationship and then it's it's easier to pull into everyday life as well. Yeah, so when you don't have a book club um, meeting and you're not doing the official, let's chart this out on paper and, and look at how the, the plot um, structure, what the author is trying to say to us through the plot structure or whatnot, you could ask a simple should question on your ride to swim practice or you know on your way to the soccer game about a book that your child's reading that you've read before or a book that you've read to, you're reading together. And it could just be, it becomes more like a way of life and it doesn't have to be this um, this big addition to our to-do list or a big pressure of, uh, you know, we're so overwhelmed as moms anyway, I think, with all these things we need to do. So this makes it a way where we can talk about books in a meaningful way that is just a part of our culture, a part of our family life, and um, it doesn't add to the strain of what we're already trying to do. Absolutely. And I think we're also teaching kids how to ask questions. Essentially, we're training ourselves how to think and how to ask questions. But I loved it. Last night, I was reading um, The Little White Horse by Elizabeth Googe to the kids. And at the beginning, it's talking about um, the, the characters are in a carriage that's lurching along this pathway. And... Um, my middle son immediately piped up and he said, that's a clue as to the time period that it's set in. Ah, yes, right. <laughs> because it, it, they're in a carriage, so we know that that's probably before cars. And, and so he's catching details that mean something in the story that he would have just passed by otherwise. And Adam Andre says that. He says the more often we do this, the more it just becomes a habit. And so that you, the biggest part is that if you can do meaningful conversations, these intentional book detectives type of scenarios, occasionally just a couple of times, that will train your child to do it on their own, um, just become a habit of mind. And so that's what your son was doing is just sort of, you know, asking those questions without having to have the formal class. It just becomes a part of the way that they interact with books. 
Right. And having also the book detectives set, set up for once a month or whenever you do it, um, it's a, it's more of a fun atmosphere to okay. discuss that. And it's not one child that's having to answer all the questions. Because that's something I think we forget at home when we're, we're if we're homeschooling. Our, our poor child in front of us is the one who has to answer every single question. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. It comes up, we're in a, a group or a classroom setting. Everybody's kind of taking turns and listening to other kids' ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so it's a very relaxed, fun, um, just an enjoyable setting to learn something that's, that is kind of big ideas and that kids might think of as a difficult subject. And so it's not like we're doing this with every single book. Right, right. There's a lot of just just sitting down and enjoying reading books and not having to analyze it. But they're getting these tools in a more fun setting that they can use at other times. Well, and then I guess, um, do you find then since you organize these with other families that it happens more reliably because it's on your calendar and it involves other people? And so it can, you know, you're planning ahead for this event, kind of this you know, gathering. Um, I am a big deadline person. <laughs> Things don't tend to happen unless they're specifically scheduled and there's a deadline of some sort. So that's very true. I would be much less likely to have these kinds of discussions if we weren't doing it with a book club and have that sort of accountability. Well, I could see how that could be pretty fun if you had a group of, you know, four or five moms and rotated whose house it was done at, and maybe there are some fun snacks, and it's something that the kids look forward to um, once every month or every other month or something. I could see how that would be just a really, really um, fun habit to get into as a family. And you can take it as far as you want, because my friend Hannah, when they did their book detectives meetings, they had crafts and food and all sorts of things that... that we're in the theme of the book. Yeah. And, and I'm not so much of that sort of planner craft person. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so ours were really relaxed. I'd pick the book right before the meeting. We sat down, I'd read the book aloud. We'd discuss it and the kids would go play and the moms would have chat time. And so it was really simple. So you can kind of take that either direction. Awesome. Yeah, I will link. I, I believe I linked to her before, but Hannah's blog is here in the lovely woods, and I will make sure I link to her blog in the show notes as well because she has some Great. good notes on her on her group. Yes. So what's your big advice to moms who are eager to start a book detectives group of their own? I think the biggest thing is not to be intimidated and be willing to learn with the kids and understand that I think sometimes as adults, we expect when we're learning something new to be immediately at this proficient adult level. Right. And we don't give ourselves permission to start at, you know, in classical education, what would be the grammar stage level of a new subject. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when things are new, be willing to start at the beginning and start and learn with your kids. I think that's the biggest thing. And then just sit back and enjoy the conversation and know that not every little thing has to be planned out. Yeah, that's perfect. If you were stranded on an island, I asked this question. (laughs) I asked this question to Melissa Wiley, and I think I almost gave her a heart attack. (laughs) But if you were stranded on an island with your family and could only bring three books, what would they be? Oh, my goodness. That is, and as much as I love lists, and I've done this several times on my blog, like what 
are the five most important books for your kids to read growing up yeah. and, and that sort of thing. But then, of course, as soon as I have to answer it, I, it does. It's like induces a heart attack. <laughs> um, other than the Bible, I think that if I were stranded on an island, I would want an, a book full of fairy tales. Okay. I think maybe like Andrew Lang's The um, Fairy Books. Uh-huh. Or, and let's see, and maybe a poetry or Shakespeare anthology. We do tend to, we've been memorizing a lot of Shakespeare and poetry with the kids. Yep. And I, so I think that gives back, there's a lot more to involve yourself with if you were going to have a long period of time. <laughs> um, and... I'll go with Watership Down. Watership Down. Man, it's been a long time since I've read that. <laughs> I didn't read it as a child, and I read it as an adult, and I could not believe how much I loved the story. Really? It, I, I, I was so surprised that I would enjoy a story about rabbits. Interesting. I haven't read it since high school, and I don't think I appreciated it at the time. So maybe I need to reread it again. <laughs> well, and maybe and maybe I wouldn't have appreciated it in high school because I know there's lots of books that I read the first time and didn't care for at all. But as an adult, I loved Watership Down. We I actually read it for another book club of mine, so it was all adults reading the story. Oh wow! And in general, everyone w- was just amazed at how much they enjoyed the story. And then I recently read it aloud to the kids, and it's probably one of our favorite read-alouds. Wow. Okay. Very good. Uh, were all your kids interested, all the ages? Um, my youngest, uh, well, no, my three-year-old, definitely not. And my seven-year-old, he was seven, or he's almost eight, I guess, but he doesn't concentrate very well mm-hmm. on larger stories, so he'd listen to parts and pieces, but my older two at 12 and then nine loved it. Okay. Okay. And where do you go then for book recommendations? Everybody goes to you, so where do you go? <laughs> <laughs> well, I already mentioned The Well-Trained Mind and Honey for a Child's Heart, mm-hmm. which are um, great resources. There's a 1,000 good books list online that is, uh, I think it's a classical homeschooling list, but it's an incredible list that's broken down into reading levels and anthologies and poetry and various, um, but it's called the 1,000 good books list. Yep, I'll link that up. And I do a lot of searching on Amazon and reading reviews and and seeing related books. Okay. Veritas Press and also Sunlight, I've actually liked a lot of their book selections. Okay. I've gotten um, many books from both of those companies. The two blogs or online sources that I love are The Rabbit Room. The Rabbit Room? I haven't heard of that one. And Story Warren. Story Warren. Okay. They I'll are both absolutely fantastic. I think the Rabbit Room um, is possibly Andrew Peterson's blog. He wrote the Wing Feather Saga. Oh, um, Tish talked about that in our episode, too. Her daughter was really liking the, the Wing Feather Saga. Yes, my kids um, read the first three and were just waiting on pins and needles, begging <laughs> me for the fourth book. And it just came, and they devoured it okay so, <laughs> I haven't gotten my hands on it yet I guess I need to <laughs> yeah. 
So those are um, two blogs and also Exodus books. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of great reviews on Exodus books. They're homeschooling um, literature-based company. They sell uh, literature. I refer to Sunlight a lot as well. I know you mentioned them. I, um, I, I love how they give a recommended age for reading alone and a recommended age for reading aloud because I think that's a really helpful distinction. Yes, it is. Okay, well, that is super wonderful. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Um, I, you were talking about the difference between reading alone oh, yes. and reading aloud. And I wanted to mention two of my favorite authors oh, yeah. that have an amazing vocabulary, an amazing way with words, and can be enjoyed by really young kids, but they make great read-alouds because the vocabulary is so sophisticated. Okay. And that's William Stieg, or Stegg, oh, yes. I'm not sure how you pronounce uh-huh. Um, but he wrote Amos and Boris and Brave Irene and Dr. DeSoto yep. uh, is one book that he's famous for. But he, his, the vocabulary in his picture books are fantastic. But a lot of people don't realize that he wrote three short chapter books. Oh, I didn't know that either. And again, if you have a strong reader, they can read it independently because they are shorter chapter They're shorter chapter books, but the vocabulary is very sophisticated. So that's Abel's Island. Okay. The Real Thief. Okay. And Dominic are his three chapter books that he's written. And I would highly recommend those. Oh, excellent. I've never even heard of those. I am, of course, familiar with Brave Irene and Amos Morris and Dr. DeSoto, but I didn't know he wrote chapter books. Okay. Right. And, And we did The Real Thief for one of our book detectives, and it was one of my favorite book detectives meetings. Okay. Do you have a post on that one? I do. You do? Okay. I do. And then also James Thurber. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he wrote the picture book Many Moons. No, I don't think I have heard of him. Okay, James Thurber and again, Moons. Yes, and again, you can tell that he absolutely has a love affair with words. Okay, oh, love. Okay. He, okay. It, it, it's just fantastic. But he also wrote two short chapter books that are a little bit edgy. On Maybe, on you know, for kids that are super sensitive, they're kind of a little bit darker. Okay. But they're absolutely fantastic books. The 13 Clocks. And the wonderful O. The wonderful O. I think maybe I have heard of the Thirteen Clocks, but I can't think of. I can't think of it. I, it sounds familiar. But again, those make great read-alouds because they're they're written for children, but they have very sophisticated vocabulary and just a. You can tell that the authors love words. That makes a huge difference, I think. Um, when you're reading aloud and it just has some really fantastic, delicious words, it just makes a huge difference in the read aloud experience. I think. Yes, yes, it does. Very good. Well, where can our listeners find you online? I am at Mount Hope Chronicles. Mount Hope Chronicles is the title of my blog, but the address is Mount Hope Academy. So M T H O P E A C A D E M Y dot blogspot.com perfect um and you have some great categories on your site um picture book picnic and the book detectives group and the reading child so i will link to all those different categories so 
um, our listeners can find your recommendations and your blog posts. Again, if you're interested in the Book Detectives group, um, definitely check out her Book Detectives post because she's got excellent visuals, walks you right through some of her meetings, um, good suggestions for the books that they've used and enjoyed. And then the whiteboard pictures are really, really invaluable. If you want to get a handle, if you're a visual person like me and you want to get a good handle on um, what that actually looks like, you can get it there. So thanks. thank you so much for joining me. This has been a ton of fun. Thanks, Sarah. I love chatting with books and it was a fun, fun time chatting with you. Now it's time for Let the Kids Speak. This is my favorite part of the podcast, where kids tell us about their favorite stories that have been read aloud to them. My name is Simon, and I'm five years old. um, I'm from Florida, and my favorite book is this, the the mom and that my mom and daddy read to me is the Jesus Storybook Bible. My favorite part is when Jesus it again. <laughs> That's my favorite part, too. Hey, your child can be on an upcoming episode. All you need to do is head to readaloudrevival.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and click the big orange button to leave me a voicemail. You can coach or prompt your young kids right through it. I can edit on my end and cut out your adult voice if I need to, so really there's no pressure for your child to record a perfect message or anything. You can say, um, you can figure out together what you Um, your child wants to say and then have them echo you right on the message and I can fix it up to come on the podcast it's so great to hear from the kids uh, about what they love being read to them so keep those messages coming don't forget to take my survey for your chance to win a $50 Amazon gift card as long as you are listening to this episode before September 15th 2014 you can do that at readaloudrevival.com the feedback I've gotten already has been crazy helpful and will help me get great guests and topics coming up on future episodes. That's it for today. Until next time, friends, go build your family culture around books.